0: Hey Becca. So hey Adam. Hey, so I was totally gonna text you about this podcast this afternoon because I had I had a few questions or something. But then I got texting you, and the head version of you texted me back saying that you be that you were really annoyed that I was pestering you while you're at work while I was texting. So without even sending the text, I just assumed that you'd be really upset at me, and I didn't send it.
1: You know that's crazy, right? Oh, I know. You know that you can always message me, but It's funny because I did a lot of research into this topic for our podcast, and uh, I feel like I didn't have to because my entire life is just one long RSD attack.
0: Oh, amen to that, sister. You and me both. But before any of you all feel rejected, let's get on with it, shall we? Get into it. So, so today, as I'm sure you all figured out, we're going to be talking about that lovely thing that impacts a lot of neurodivergent people, rejection sensitivity.
1: Also known as rejected sensitive dysphoria. However, Adam, you were telling me that that is not an actual diagnosis.
0: No, um, apparently I mean, there's one or two or a minority of researchers, I think, are I'm not sure the details, but I know that there's some push to get it to be official, but it's not an official thing as of right now. However, rejection sensitivity is re- widely recognized as a part of a multitude of neurodivergences.
1: Yeah, it's actually known as a bit of a neuro phenomenon. Ooh,
0: we have phenomenons now.
1: I like that. Well, of course we do. <laughs> so, I mean, I just kind of want to talk a little bit about what it is and what it feels like before we kind of get into how vastly this symptom of ADHD, although it also affects other uh, neuroslicinesses, how it's... vastly this one has affected it.
0: Oh, you mean that impending feeling of existential dread as you worry that everyone and everything hates you because you did one thing wrong and you're thinking about it for us the, the natural life.
1: That is the one. Mm-hmm. Fun times. <laughs> okay, so um, like I said, I did a lot of research and I'm staring at a lot of words but I just kind of want to go over it really quickly. That neuro, nope, (laughs) that um, rejection sensitivity is basically an extreme emotional sensitivity to being criticized or rejected. And it becomes the fear of obviously being criticized or rejected or being embarrassed.
0: Yeah, you know, I also joined you in doing a lot of research on this one. It's called 34 years of life as a neurodivergent human. (laughs) <laughs> no, but I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh I've done my own very, very bit of research on this over the years as well and <clears throat> yeah. And who among us has not experienced this if you're neurospicy um having these feelings and then being told, "Oh, you're just being too sensitive." Or, "Oh, you just need to take
1: everything too personally.
0: You have to toughen up. You're
1: too soft. You need a thicker skin." Mm-hmm. All of those sentences actually make my skin crawl oh you and me both
0: my skin just jumped off my body and ran away I am now an uncovered meat suit in this chair
1: I actually got to watch that it was it was pretty entertaining (laughs) (laughs) it's it's like that Simpsons
0: Halloween special where like it ends with that with the fog that turns them all inside out yep yep
1: that is that is exactly what it looked like except (laughs) you don't look quite as jaundicey
0: I'm glad I worked on my complexion no (laughs)
1: but But seriously
0: folks that is legit what RSD can feel like or rejection sensitivity can feel like because it feels like your skin is is old leather and is crawling with snakes or something.
1: Um see for me I don't get it like externally if that makes sense it's like it is legitimately like a phobia for me. So you know if you're afraid of heights how if you're standing on the edge of a cliff you get that kind of like cold fear in the pit of your stomach that feels like it's shooting spikes oh yeah that is what rejection sensitivity feels like for me it is this overwhelming all-encompassing feeling of dread i can i
0: can definitely agree that it feels like that too i think so i'm not sure if what i described earlier is part of rejection sensitivity for me or if it's part of that inherent feeling of awkward otherness that comes with being autistic But I almost think they're related in some ways, tied to anxiety, because there is always that anxiety of, did I say the wrong thing? Did I do the wrong thing? Did I, you know, and and that feeds into the RS, uh, rejection sensitivity. I keep wanting to say RSD, but I don't want to.
1: Can, can we just shorten it for the podcast so that we have more time? Like we know what it is, but we're just going to call it RSD guys. Exactly.
0: (laughs) Don't at us. Um, But no, I, I think that feeds into the RSD because I totally then overthink and overstress about everything. And it builds, it creates that that cold fear in the pit of my stomach that I've done something wrong or worry about doing something wrong and therefore turning a task, which I can normally do easily into a task that gets screwed up. And then I do get in trouble and then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy that further furthers that pit of existential dread in my
1: stomach. Absolutely, I I get that. And I actually have, this really random example that that made me think of. Oh. So I am, and I don't mean to chew my own horn, but I'm a fantastic driver. Yeah. I love to drive. I'm great in a vehicle. Like, I just, I really know what I'm doing behind the wheel. She really is, folks.
0: She's one of the few people, <laughs> people who will out drive my car. She really is
1: fantastic. However, if there is anyone in my vehicle with me, I get and not anyone it has to be um and again this is going to come across as awful but this is part of my trauma is that if there is a male in the car with me uh not you just because I know that you don't judge me for anything but even people that I have known and loved my entire life if they are in the car with me I am automatically nervous that I don't know what I'm doing like I I start like all of a sudden I can't park I can't you know, like my driving is fine. I don't make mistakes like that. But all of a sudden it's like, oh, what way do I turn the wheel when I'm parallel parking? And I constantly think, oh, they're judging me. They think I'm a horrible driver and and I can't shake it. And it seems like such a silly thing to get all like (laughs) about. But it absolutely happens. Um, And to the point where I have um, a very, very close friend of mine, we've mentioned him in the podcast before, read back in the day about, 10, maybe 12 years ago, I was backing up my Honda. And this is before backup cameras were a thing, y'all. So, For um, in the crowd. Right. So, i uh, was aging myself here. I had a license and I could drive a vehicle on my own when there were no backup cameras. Um, <laughs> but I was backing up and I ran over a pylon, oh. and he happened to see this incident. Okay. And I'm still hearing about it 10 or 12 years later. Yep. And he he thinks it's a super funny joke and, and whatever. Like it is. It's funny. I ran over a pylon. I get it. But for whatever reason, my internal monologue goes, oh, he's judging me. He thinks I'm a terrible driver. No, he doesn't. He lets me drive his new car. Like he does not care. Yeah. And it's just one of those things where it's like, I have internalized this. My my RSD, my anxiety has made me believe that he thinks I'm a terrible driver when no, he absolutely doesn't. Well, I mean,
0: to go off that, I'm going to get a little personal myself here and I'm changing names and I'm changing names of organizations as well when I do this because respecting privacy and not getting my butt kicked. But so my old job, we will call the company Leading I used I, I, I've had a career, my day day job in telecommunications for the last decade or so for, for various companies. Um, the first company I worked for though, again, we're going to call them LinkNet. Um, my boss at, my two bosses at LinkNet were not great for my mental health in different ways. One of them was a perfectionist who no matter what I did around the, around the booth, right? And I was the assistant manager. This person was the manager. Whatever I did right, they would fixate on the one thing I did wrong and make Ooh. make a mountain out of it. And make and make me feel like I just couldn't handle things and I was couldn't be on top of things. And I would like, I would strive really, really, really hard and be a perfectionist on myself. Because I wanted to to avoid their disapproval for the one thing I would do wrong. And in so doing, I would do things wrong because there's too much pressure on my brain. And, you know, it's just, it's, and it's becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy. So I would have constant anxiety that this person would call me on the one little thing I didn't do up to their standards. And we're talking things as minute as. I dusted, but not the way they would have dusted. So a little bit of dust was left on the counter and this was a massive deal the next day, stuff like that. And so I, be, I internalized this anxiety, especially coupled with the fact that my, even higher up supervisor just was, I'm convinced a covert narcissist and would call me out on, or would, would basically do everything they could to put me down because it made them feel better, including in front of the other staff. So I internalized all of this and it made my RSD really bad to the point where like now at the new company that I work for that I really love that I, I that's that's great. Uh, for the longest time, if my boss, who who is an awesome human and I really like this person would correct me on something or point something out wrong, I would beat myself up for it for days because of this.
1: So I don't know if you know this because I think I sent you my notes, but I don't know if you had a chance to go over them. But one of the signs of rsd is that we become um people pleasers Uh and also we set ridiculously high standards for ourselves that we can't meet so we are literally creating yeah we are creating this own self-fulfilling prophecy yeah so um for instance uh, just to go back to kind of a recent story that happened to me i am um i'm in the process of moving back home And um, my house in my hometown is um, full. (laughs) Um, It is full. And I had this idea in my head that there's this one room upstairs that's going to become my bedroom. And I had this idea in my head that for whatever reason, I was going to be able to empty out that room in one day. One day. That was what it was going to take me one day and yes I see the expression on your face Adam you can stop now do not look at me in that tone of voice young man Um, (laughs) look at me in that tone of voice nice (laughs) but I was so mad at myself okay mom I'm so disappointed in myself because I could not get through this room in one day and in fact six months later I'm still struggling even after calling in friends to help me because there is that much stuff in my home at this time because of reasons um, but like, so I set up this ridiculously high stand. No one, no one, not even the Hulk could get through this room single-handedly in one day.
0: But you know what I think it is, is in both of our stories that we we told here is someone at some point chastised us for something. So we internalized that rejection and out of a desperate fear of never seeing, getting it again we went the opposite, wholesale opposite direction. In my case, by trying too hard to like meet the expectations and not being able to, because I just can't live up to them. And in your case, by not live up to your own expectations and people, ple- and in both of our cases, people pleasing, because we're afraid of getting that rejection again. It's, it's a fear response. It's totally a fear response.
1: It's a trauma response. It absolutely is. And like, I often wish that my logic could have a discussion with, like, my anxiety slash my RSD.
0: Oh, God, you'll be both.
1: Because logically, logically, I know that, that you absolutely cannot escape rejection in one form or another. You, you cannot. You can be the absolute perfect cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. And there will always be someone who prefers tea. That is just the way it is. Yes. Logically, I understand that my neuro spicy side however my people pleaser side my desperate need for validation and for people to like me and love me
0: yes is
1: like oh god no please everyone must love me all of the time right right and that is not how it freaking works it's it's just it's not and I've kind of been trying to counteract that, especially in the last couple of months, because I'm sure you can attest to the fact that this year has been particularly difficult for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been trying to remind myself that I am who I am and I can take accountability for the stuff that I have done wrong in my life. Yeah, And I can try to change the toxicity because everybody has their own little bit or a lot of it of, toxicity in in themselves the problem isn't whether you have it or not everybody has it yes it's, it's whether you choose to work on it and change and grow yes and so you know part of my toxicity is the fact that my rsd and my abandonment issues have made me into a people yes to the point where I burn myself out, and I know that you do it too, because I've watched you do it. <laughs> um, just trying to make everybody happy but myself. Oh God, yes.
0: God, I feel that in my bones, in my soul.
1: Was that just a savage attack on
0: you? <laughs> it was as much of a savage attack on me as it was on me. First of all, how dare.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but no, it, it it's true. And I look at the things that I've done, and kind of the stuff that my RSD and my anxiety has convinced me of. Because I gotta tell you something: my anxiety, my rejection sensitivity, epic liar. Mm-hmm. Like best of the best. Like this bitch can lie to me so to my whole face. So can this bastard. He's a douche. Right, and he says, or well, yeah, I know that yours does, and mine does. Um, They just say such horrible things, right? And eventually if there's no one there or if I don't have the ability to be like, Hey, do you hate me? Um, if there's no one there to be like, you're nuts, like you're losing it. No. I just said, you know, ow, I cut my finger on a piece of paper. I didn't mean that you attacked me. I'm like, Oh, so if there's no one to listen to, but that nasty little lying voice, I believe it.
0: And like okay. going off of that, question for you.
1: Um, have you ever
0: had, do you have something more to say before I cut you off? No,
1: I'm just scared of the question. Oh, okay. No, no. Is this a we need to talk situation? Because no, I don't no, no, want to no, do no, no, that no. on recording. <laughs> I would never do that to you, I promise. I know you wouldn't.
0: Okay. Going off of that, lies your rejection sensitivity and your anxiety tell you. Have you ever st- like the opposite, kind of kind of the opposite, but kind of about the liberation of yourself from these things have you ever noticed or struggled with or had the experience of a situation forcing you to step back and go no that's not me that's not mine and I'm not going to own that and like you know that is that is a great question well, because I don't know, I've experienced it like at the end of my time at LinkNet Communications, shall we say? <laughs> Again, I'm not using real names. At the end of our time, my time there, I actually took stock of the things that, like, okay, in fairness, this, this, and this were because of my neurodivergent traits clashing with the requirements of the job. But this, this, and this were things that were not mine and I'm not going to own. And yes, that is entirely them and screw them. You know, and like, the, and I think. It's hard to do that when you have RSD because your brain wants to tell you that it's
1: all you. Okay, so now we're gonna get super personal. Thanks Adam. Um, sorry, not sorry, don't kill me. So I am renowned for wanting to take accountability for everything. Oh. I just wanna blame myself and be like, yeah, I'm a horrible person. I'm so sorry that I ever entered your life just to ruin it. and. it's too much like you have to take accountability for what you've done Mm -hmm. but you shouldn't be taking accountability for everything other people and so this is where this story is kind of going um I if you've listened to a previous episode you know that I lost my father when I was five um my mother uh, had one relationship while I was growing up and then another relationship as I got older. So I think she met him when I was we're gonna go with like twenty four, twenty-five. I think I just just turned twenty five. Okay. And um she met this man and um I always wanted a dad. Like I, I lost my dad when I was five. I, I always wanted a dad. And this man was <laughs> he um he had a lot of pretty words. Um and in the end he, he could not outrun his demons and his demons were at the bottom of the bottle and he was also a narcissist and um I blame myself a lot for the things that he would do and say and the way he would treat like my friends and it was always because of me um I grew up believing that I was a bitch I still have a hard time believing that I'm not a bitch because I have been told so often that I'm a bitch and you have a bad attitude and, and you take everything so personal and so you know he would say or do things and I would argue back because he wasn't being kind and while I might be a bitch I am the nicest bitch you'll ever meet I will give you the shirt off my back and totally
0: confirm folks can totally
1: confirm. <laughs> um and and the things that he would do and say were were truly horrible and I I blamed myself so very much for not being a better daughter for not being a better person for not biting my tongue for all of these things and when push came to shove and he threw me and then my mom out of his life and then went around town gaslighting and saying oh no she did this she did this she did this it's 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 Becca's fault she did this and I'm going okay but I have the receipts I have the screenshot, I have the proof of everything that you've said and done to me, and you know what, at this point, it was not me. Isn't it fun how they always
0: try to do that, though?
1: Yeah, and it's like, okay, yes, in certain cases, did I say things that I I shouldn't have? Absolutely, but looking back, it was absolutely um, reactive abuse, I believe it's called. (laughs) yeah of so where you you needle me and you push me and you say horrible backhanded things about me and you out me to people you know nobody has that right I am pansexual and I'm proud of who I am but it is my right to tell people not yours that's right and I literally had to look after years of just taking accountability for this man and his illness because that's that's what alcoholism and 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 the things that he suffered from are. It's an illness. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had to finally turn around and be like, no, absolutely not. I did not do this. This was not me. That's right. This was you. And um, it was a really huge learning curve for me to realize that I am only in charge of me and what I do and how I change and my path. I cannot save anyone that doesn't want to be safe. That's right. And so, yeah, that was just this huge moment of, I was always so scared of making him angry and always so scared that I was a bad daughter and, and I wasn't. No. And that was on him, not on me. Well,
0: and thank you for sharing that really, truly. That was really powerful and
1: i didn't cry (laughs) (laughs) we're really gonna have to
0: make a drinking game though (laughs)
1: Yeah, we won't have any listeners
0: they'll all you know die of alcohol poisoning but no i mean like i've totally been there myself where like i just instinctively assume i'm the one at fault when someone gets mad it's like i don't even know where it came from well i have some ideas but i'm pretty i it's just people get mad and I assume I'm automatically the one who did something wrong.
1: Oh, I, I definitely, I know that about you for sure, because you and I have had that happen. And I'm trying to remember exactly what the situation was, not to like call you out on anything, I but I, I'm, I'm trying to remember. It's not just one, it's happened to me. Oh, I know it's it's, it's everybody, but I'm just kind of using an experience like from us where, Oh, I I don't remember exactly what we were talking about, but my tone changed. Oh, yeah. Which I I know better than to do that, but it just kind of happened. And it was literally a nothing. You had said something that, like, maybe could have been taken offensively, but because it was from you, I didn't take it offensively, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Because we just know each other so, so well that I knew that you would never say anything like that. But then I can't remember like if I was driving or if I was going to work or whatever, and my tone shifted. And the next time I looked at my phone, you were like, oh, no, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, oh, oh, no, 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 honey, no, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm sorry now, because I know what I just did to you. And I didn't mean to. But like, no, you're good. Like, I, I didn't take it that way. But it was that automatic kind of thing for you where you were like, I have angered it. <laughs> yeah. it's, you. Know,
0: I would almost describe my experience of rejection sensitivity, and I'm sure you would too, as almost like constant hypervigilance. Like you're constantly worried that what you said or did is going to upset the person. So you instinctively jump on like fawning or people pleasing to kind of like try to avoid that from happening. Yeah. Or you know, you're constantly thinking about like, like what you're saying because you don't want someone to take it the wrong way or you don't want someone to interpret you the wrong way or you don't because there's that like all encompassing fear of they're going to not understand me. They're not going to understand who I am. They're not going to like me. They're not going to want me right. I said the wrong thing and now everything I've worked for is done and doomed.
1: Yeah. Well, and even um, for me, because I do kind of what is that term? Ah, uh, call me orange said it on on TikTok, and I love it. It's like human, what you know, big words too. Um, I know big words. You know how like a poison frog is like red and blue, yeah. so that you know to stay away from it. It's like human. Oh. Right. Oh my God, what word is that? I don't know, and we're on. I'm I'm recording from my phone, so I can't look at it. Up. It's like it's like the opposite of
0: peacocking.
1: where but you- it's like MS, antisept- am something anyway it starts with an A anyway so I subscribe to that usually I have big rainbow hair I tend to have very bright makeup or very very dark makeup I have a nose ring and my body although it is a healthy body and it is a good body for me is automatically judged in a lot of cases when I go out because I am a bigger person mm-hmm. and I have been a bigger person my entire life and I was bullied extremely badly in school for it. Yeah. So, like, I automatically think just looking at me upsets people. And also, like, I'm very loud, I'm very verbose. I'm one of two things I'm either loud and verbose and a little crazy, or I'm very quiet and reserved. And either way gets me in trouble because it's like, oh, she's so quiet. She doesn't want to talk to us. They're so like, oh my God, she's so much. Honey.
0: I think you're beautiful both inside and out, and I love those things about you.
1: Oh, thank you. And I think you know you are very handsome and very wonderful, and I love you inside and out. Oh, thanks. But that is not what this episode is about. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. But I'm just saying. <laughs> but, yeah. Like I am, I almost go into every social situation that isn't with my my circle fully knowing that i will probably be rejected i have such a fear that it. it's why i don't want to make me friends. i don't want to go out and talk to people i don't know Ugh. because they're not going to like me i mean let me tell you this as someone who talks to people he doesn't know for a day job
0: my, the entire shtick i do with with sales at work is, is a script and it's a it's a mask in my brain because really, truly, I'm constantly worried that I said the wrong thing, or I, or I, you know, oh
1: God, yeah. Well, and I mean, I can do it because I'm an actress, and I've been in um, uh, service jobs my entire life. Um, so, do I mask? Oh, absolutely, very, very well. But I can't mask the way I look. No, I get that. And, and there's nothing wrong with the way I look. I love having bright hair. I love either the really bright or really dark makeup. I love these things. I love my nose ring. Like, it's the perfect fidget and it's on my face. It's it's fantastic. (laughs) But I also know I am from a small, small small-minded town. So when I am perceived, and because it's a small town and, you know, most people that are there have known me most of my life, you don't have certain it. ideas on the freak label yeah it doesn't
0: go away because when you've been around people who've known you your entire life even if you're owning who you are now and embracing it and dressing that way whatever they all have ideas of who they think you are from how how they've known you at various points in their lives and in your life and who you are may not jive with who they think you are and therefore rejection and therefore you and you perceive that rejection which just makes it even worse
1: Well, and there's also the fact that a lot of people think that they know how you should be. So I'm actually going to take an example um, of a very, very close friend of mine. And I don't think that she'll mind. And we, again, have talked about her on the podcast before, my mouse. Um, You know, she went through this whole period where everybody says, like, when we were in high school together, she was goth emo, just like I was. Um, You know, as we got a little bit Older, she had piercings she had tattoos um and she's gorgeous she's probably one of the most beautiful women I have ever met Mm -hmm. and you know as she got these customer service jobs they made her like take out her she had um lip rings they made her take out her lip ring and just this kind of there there is this disconnect this depression this I believe in it stems from RSD because you're rejecting the way I look and therefore you're rejecting me and then you can't look The way you want to, you can't be yourself. You can't be yourself, and so you automatically feel rejected because nobody wants me to express myself the way I want to express myself. And I am so proud of her, and I guarantee you that she's listening to this because she's one of our biggest supporters. And she just, just, just got her snake bites back. Yeah. So the double lip piercing. Yeah. I'm so proud of her, and they look so good on her. That's and I'm just so happy to see her embracing who I know she is inside and it's Mm. she's also one of those people that's coming to terms with like oh I most likely have ADHD and oh I definitely have rejection sensitivity so she as she's learning about her neurodivergencies it's like she's learning to love who she is again and watching her kind of step into who i have always seen her has as is kind of one of the greatest things about this journey that i'm on and that she's on now and that you're on yeah where we're learning about our own mental health to the point where we're helping one another and helping each other heal and i think that is so powerful isn't it beautiful it is like it's just one of the best things that i've ever seen and if nothing else ever comes from you know our podcast or us learning more about our mental health than exactly just helping one person it's still worth it I'm just so worth it and I'm just so grateful and I'm so happy for her and mouse those snake bites are killer you look fabulous I haven't seen them yet but
0: just knowing you mouse yeah they would be yeah, um, no, but I, I feel that because, so I'm going to get a little vulnerable here, too. Oh, good, because I've been talking this entire episode, sorry, y'all. <laughs> so, I'm not going to obviously name names, um, my family is fairly conservative, to say the <coughs> least. <coughs> yes. And are also upper middle class and have certain ideas on how they think my life should go and look and all these things. And you know what, in fairness, all parents have ideas on how they think their kids lives should look and there's nothing wrong with that. The only thing wrong with that is when you start to uh, impose that on your children and make them feel make them feel like you're not they're not living up to your standards if they don't.
1: Even though you have done and I'm just putting this out here because no one plugs your book as much as I do. You are 34 now. <laughs> you are 34 years old and you are a published author thank you. with a fantastic book and you all should go out and you should get it and you should read it because it is amazing. Uncommon sense. It is available on Amazon and Latitude 46 Publishing. Yes. .com or CA. I think it's dot
0: com. <laughs> but yeah. One of those. Yeah. But yeah. Thank, thank you for that, Beck. Um, but the thing is, is like, my dressing style has never been, like, I, I think I dress well and for comfortable for myself, but I've always emphasized comfort over aesthetic. And not to say I don't care about aesthetic, I do. But this is definitely an autistic thing. And I've learned this from the community, dressing for comfort because sensitivity, like hypersensitivity to things and, and to feelings and to that kind of thing. So I tend to dress for comfort. Um, there's also the fact that I find that you know, something I've learned from the queer community is dress for comfort and for your own style and your people will find you. And I've started doing, I, I've always kind of done that. And I've just, and my space is not decorated in a haute couture, home and garden Canada type way, but it's perfect for me. And I, I love my my, my stepmom, and my dad to death. I really do. But they've never fully really understood my style or my way of being or anything like that. And I've always felt kind of judged about that. Tonight, I had my mom over for dinner. And my mom took a look around and was like, this place is wonderful. You have a really good sense of decor. You did this, that, and the other thing. And I didn't know how to take that. I I proceeded to thank her profusely for for noticing. Because I didn't know how to take that. Because my RSD is just like, no, my place is terrible. I dress terribly. I'm a terrible person, blah, blah, blah. And I had someone say something different to me tonight. And again, I did not know how to take that because the little lying bugger in my brain has been telling me the opposite for so long that I've just kind of started to believe it.
1: Well, and again, I think part of that comes back to we do hold ourselves to this ridiculous standard.
0: And it's like, I don't want to be part of that world. I don't want my, my space to look like home and garden Canada. I don't want to buy clothing that costs $200 for a shirt. I don't give a crap. And yet my brain does.
1: Well, I mean, that is partial conditioning. I know that for certain. And again, because you are conditioned to believe that these are the things that you should want. You should want, you know, the big fancy house and and the fancy clothes and, and all of these things. And so I think a lot of my RSD comes in for sure thinking that I am supposed to feel this way about things. But I do This is what I was taught. Yeah. I am, there's something wrong with me because I don't, I don't want to sit around and drink a glass of wine. I don't like wine. I hate wine. I'm a, I'm a terrible Italian. I hate wine. <laughs> well, like, there's nothing wrong if you like wine and you want to sit around and have a glass of wine. Yeah. It. But That's- it's not for me. And I don't have to want that life. And I don't want to feel like I'm weird. I am weird and I'm proud of being weird, but mm. I don't want to feel like I'm bad at being a person or a grown up because I haven't hit what I was sort of taught were these milestones of life
0: yes. that
1: I have no interest in whatsoever. I would much rather sit around with my friends and watch y'all play video games or play a rousing game of Cards Against Humanity and mm. maybe have a drink, but I'm not drinking wine no I, I don't like it I don't want to sit around and you know you see all these sitcoms where like all the women are together just bitching about their husbands and how useless they are and all the men are you know in the other room smoking cigars drinking beer and bitching about their wives not putting out with like that is every sitcom
0: yeah and it's disgusting
1: and it's not like I just kind of I don't know in my brain somewhere I was like oh so that's what life is supposed to be and I don't want I don't want that that's not what I want no it's not what I want either like <laughs> I'll be honest
0: I I don't want the kind of life where like I, I mean I've always kind of not poo-pooing people who live in big houses and nice neighborhoods like that I've always kind of not really wanted that kind of a house because to me if i raise kids in that kind of house that they're then they're thinking that that's reality when that's a bubble i would rather have live a more genuine simple life with friends and family that i love that you know understand me that like and build my chosen family out of my friends and like you know like have, be be the, the cool uncle to my nieces and nephews like the kids of my friends and like have a small space that I call my own that's like that feels comfortable to me and you know you know I my life does not look in any way the way I thought it was going to and how I held myself to that standard for a long time too and I nothing went according to plan after I graduated and the only thing that went according to plan was getting a book published but (laughs) that was pretty and I know oh that's all I realize that's a big thing but that's that's literally the only thing that has gone even remotely the way I wanted it to go in life everything else has not but you know I think it was one of the Beatles who said life is what happens when you're busy making other plans and I feel like Mm -hmm. there's there's wisdom to be had in learning that yeah that little voice inside that's telling you that you're failing because you're not living up to these arbitrarily decided social standards that were basically peer pressure from dead people on how your adult life should look is bullshit you know like you have to live for yourself and you have to live in accordance to what makes you happy. And that's not always going to look the way society does. And that's okay. Now in saying all of that, I believe all of that. And yet the demon in my brain is still like, now you fail as a human because you don't live in a really nice house and you're not paying a mortgage and you're not, and you're not uh, shopping at uh, like American Eagle for your clothes and you're not, you know what I mean? Like, and I have to tell it, shut up demon. You are not something. I don't
1: mean, you fit American Eagle clothes, you stupid brain demon. Yeah, like that's right. Well, and you know, speaking of the brain demon, like uh, just to kind of bring us back more onto the RSD topic. Yeah. Um, have you ever found that your your brain demon? <laughs> I love that phrase. That is well that we're brilliant. calling a brain demon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but who had
0: the, who had the Ouija board? Who summoned the demon? Great.
1: Right? And can you? Can we put a salt circle up in there? Can we get rid of it? How do we banish right. brain demons? Right. Um, so my question for you, and I know it'll come back on me later. so <laughs> um, good, has your brain demon ever lied to you to a point where you do something so absolutely out of character that it just kind of you look back and go, Ooh, like, has it ever you know made you believe that someone hates you, so you disappear? Has it ever made you? quit a job or yell at somebody you know what i mean like do you get what i'm asking
0: yes and i i'm quiet because i'm trying to figure out which of the case which of the examples to tell you because yes <laughs> many many times many
1: times sorry i misinterpreted your look as not a like pensive like hmm, which story do i tell and more as a are you on drugs right now <laughs> <laughs> In saying that, I'm completely 420 friendly, but I would not do it
0: before a podcast because there is far too much to think about here. Um, <laughs> you but, end up with some weird stories, y'all. <laughs> we actually probably should do an episode like that. That'd be hilarious, but...
1: Okay, well, you know that I can't uh, partake right now because it uh, it disturbs the brain demon. Okay, then um, let me rephrase. So we'll let you do I guess, it, I, guess, and I, I guess, will no. ask you questions. There you
0: go. That was what I was going to suggest because that would be hilarious. We'll <laughs> talk about this space koala all night. Okay, you don't want to know, folks. Well, actually, actually, people among this the listeners who watch Star Trek Lower Decks will immediately understand the reference, except that there's more to the story than that. And the episode when we finally do the high the Adam is high episode, you will hear all about that. But <laughs> but no, suffice to say, um, back on topic. Yes, this has totally happened to me. I I've absolutely had it happen where and I'm going to amalgamate a few into one and not give to me specific details because I'm not sure how to attack how to tackle this in a sensitive way so I'm just going to be vague. Um there have been times where I felt so awkward and in the middle of a social situation that I preemptively told someone off thinking they were being rude just for having a difference of opinion or setting a boundary or some, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it. And it ended up creating a big, 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 big cluster frack argument when in fact it was just my own brain demon making me feel more awkward than it had to be because I could have just used communication to solve this problem. And, and then some of my friends interpreted in one way and some of my friends interpreted in others. And it just made me think to myself, you know, I probably have a point in this whole thing, but my brain demon definitely acted out of line. So it was one of those cases where like, yeah, there's a point to be had here, but the brain demon also needs to shut up and let the rational brain handle the situation. So suffice to say, yes, yes, I have experienced this. Yeah. And the brain demon needs to needs to be uh, set, banished to the uh, hell plane where it belongs.
1: Absolutely. Mm, Has that ever happened to you? <laughs> you know that it has. <laughs> <laughs> that was an evil laugh. Um, so my brain demon uh, loves to lie to me and then make me go on apology tours. Oh, oh, I know this one. Yeah. so this is this is a double back. Um, yeah. It's kind of two stories in one. So one of the things that I kind of have to preface these little anecdotes with is that my love language is literally anyone who knows me on a personal level will tell you that Becca shows up if I love you Becca shows up yes it it doesn't matter what it is if you need a 12-hour round trip drive if you need someone to help you move if you need help with your homework or to babysit your kids Becca shows up yes yes So, um, about four years ago, I went through a pretty rough friend breakup and, um, things happened, but my brain demon told me that anyone who was friends with the friends that I broke up with essentially, um, they got those friends in divorce if they were, you know, friends with them first. Mm-hmm. instead of having a discussion with these friends instead of being like hey like, how do you want to work this I I just ghosted I was gone I pooped um, and then and, you know a few years later when things worked out I had to go on this apology tour of like hey sorry that I, I know woohoo bye bye uh, but I was convinced that you hated me oh, I love um, those friends I did not hate her nor, now nor ever I know neither you or Blue Eyes hated me but we love you I know and I love you guys too but so that was the thing and then I was like oh man I'll never do that again That was so stupid <laughs> and then and then um I decided that I was going to move from my hometown um where my circle was extremely tight I am talking we are not friends we are family. We do everything together. We're super close to the point of like, everybody kind of knows everybody else's business. Um, I had some secrets that I wanted to keep and I left town um, really quickly and kind of without any fanfare. I just went, hey guys, I'm gonna go back to school. Love you, bye. And in my disappearing act, I somehow convinced myself, my brain demon convinced me that these people that literally were part of my every every single day life and not just like a, hey, how are you? Like They were basically my lifeline and my lifeblood and we spent hours of every day together and somehow in my brain demon's magical way of being able to convince me that I am a horrible human being That no one will ever love. I convinced myself that these people. That they all hated me. And for two years. I was just gone. Yeah, Because I was too afraid to reach out. And be like hey do you guys hate me? And for them to be like yeah. Yeah we do. So instead I just convinced myself that they did. And I hid from them. Like not just ghosted. But would like actively hide from the people that loved me and um some life events made me reach out um in the last few months and you know most people don't get a second chance and i did <laughs> you know as soon as i called and i i needed them they were right there yeah and you know so my brain demon not only hurt me but hurt them because i i told them what happened that i just i just thought everybody hated me And, you know, I thought that was all on me. And the look of sadness in, um, especially, like, Red and Mouse's eyes. And um, even to the point, there's another one in our circle. And now I will have to try and think of a code name for him. Um, We're just going to call him John. That's going to be his name. So um, the look of absolute sadness in their eye that said how how after everything that we've been through, could you believe even for a second that we wouldn't love you? We might have been concerned about some of your life choices that you were making and we might've tried to help you. Yes. But we always love you. Oh. So like my brain demon at this point, if I don't keep it under control, not only hurts me, but has the ability to hurt the people that I love because when I ghosted you and Blue Eyes, you guys were hurt. Yeah, you know, like even if you got it, there's still that moment of like, how could you think that of us?
0: I think my reaction was more, oh, I don't get to see Becca anymore.
1: <laughs> you know, and like I, I hurt, I hurt people because hurt people hurt people is what it is. Mm, that's totally what. Right. But. It's this idea that <laughs> communication is so important. Yep. And even if you're afraid, your brain lies to you. Mm-hmm. And you can reach out and you can say like, hey, you know, I'm really worried that when I made this joke that I thought was just fun and games, like I hurt your feelings and they might say like, yeah, it hurt my feelings, but I got over it or no, it didn't hurt my feelings. Like we were all just having a ha ha or whatever it is. If it's someone in your life that you care about, just, just ask them, just ask ask them. And I know that is so much easier said than that. I do. Totally.
0: Because I don't know about you, but I've spent my entire life being told, why are you always asking that? Don't worry. Everything's fine. And having my concern minimized, you know, I'm told that I'm too sensitive and too worried about things. So a lot of times it is hard for people to do that. But at the same time, it's the surefire way to be, be clear and blunt and upfront and honest and just
1: find out. You have to ask. I mean, for the most part. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because brain demons aren't the only things that can lie. Yeah. But, um, you know, that to be like... I've actually been posting a lot on our Facebook about like RSD and these different kinds of rejection things. um because it is something that I think impacts almost every single neurodi- neurodivergent person. Mm-hmm. We are generally ridiculed from a very young age. Yes. This would be because of our our habits or our tendencies or our stimming or the fact that we get like super excited or you know, we're just judged and ridiculed that we are so accustomed to rejection that like we almost, like we, it, it, it kind of comes with this juxtaposition where we know how to handle it. But it also, as much as you can mask that, like, yeah, no, it's fine. I'm, I've been called a bitch so many times in my life and I'm just like, of course I am. And then I go hide in the bathroom for an hour and cry.
0: Or Or in my case, I'm just like, gotten so used to doing things and then thinking to myself and here comes the moment where I inevitably fail
1: yeah well I even remember you being that way with your book yes we're bringing it back to the book it's always about the book <laughs> um, I talk about his book more than he does it's I'd love to say that it's a problem but it's not a problem I love the book read the book if you all read the book I might shut up <laughs> but I remember during like the editing phase and the last sort of phases you were going through that like, oh, they're gonna hate it, you know, they're they're not gonna want to publish it. I'm like, dude, they well, there were to publish things. it. So there were a couple
0: things. There was stress with the is my draft good enough for does my is my publisher gonna like it? or they gonna make me do another draft, whatever, which is all a normal part of the editing process, but at the same time absolutely it triggers your anxiety because you're putting yourself out there. So again, no one's fault, just the part of the editing process was stressful. But also there was the fact that like, I was putting a part of myself into the world. I was, cause I mean, in my book, I definitely like, I, there are very good reasons why we do not use the word Asperger's anymore. And I am fully in favor of team autism spectrum and all that stuff. And I think it was a good, it, you know, it's inclusive, blah, 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 blah but I wanted to recapture my accurate story from beginning to end. So I did use the term Asperger's in its historical context when I talked about my original diagnosis. And I had this, I had had fierce anxiety that the autistic community would reject me for use of that term. And it's ridiculous because anyone who reads it, who has read it from the autistic community has said how good it is. And I've had nothing but praise and it's definitely found its audience and I'm very happy about that. But I had this constant fear that People were going to judge me for my book in various ways.
1: Well, I think that's understandable. And I remember saying to you even, you know, when we were going over that, because I'm great with everybody else's RSD, just not so much with my own. Yeah. Um, I remember saying to you kind of along the lines that most people that were diagnosed on the autism spectrum in our age bracket, I would say a high majority of them were diagnosed with Asperger's as opposed to autism spectrum, because we just didn't have the terminology. So I think using it in that context is absolutely acceptable because we wouldn't use it now.
0: Well, but I wanted to show that, you know, there's this idea, especially among older people and among our generation that, well, they're two separate things and they're not exactly the same. And I want you to know, it's just a terminology difference. It literally is the same thing. And I was trying to illustrate that by starting there and moving towards it throughout the book, but I was worried that people wouldn't get that because RSD.
1: Yes, but again, it's all part of this rejection sensitivity that ADHDers share.
0: ADHDers, autistics, BPD,
1: neurospicy. I, I keep referring just specifically to ADHD, but I shouldn't because it is a well-known neurospicy phenomenon. Yes. And again, we're kind of just telling anecdotes and, and laughing, and we have been a little bit more serious, but it is a really, truly overwhelming, soul-sucking feeling. It's a friggin' burden. It's a
0: friggin' burden, man. I,
1: if I had to kind of say what the worst part of being NeuroSpicy for me is, it would definitely be the RSD. Oh, yeah. Because like, like lack of focus, it, it sucks, but I have a lot of coping mechanisms for that one.
0: Well, and I mean, okay, so there are a lot of things about being neurospicy that are only disabilities because society doesn't it's not built to accommodate them. It's not built around yes. You know, like I would I would argue that the autistic and ADHD pension for hyperfixation in the right context can totally be a superpower. Uh, that doesn't mean being this is necessarily a superpower because again, it's neuro spiciness is a mixed bag just like neurotypicalness is a mixed bag. But I mean, there are a lot of traits that are beneficial circumstantially which leads me to believe they're definitely a, an evolutionary thing because at some point they benefited humanity and they continue to because a lot of people in the sciences are neurospicy, A lot of people in, you know, like th- these kind of things, right? Because Thinking outside the box and being different is not a bad thing. That being said, like I'm the first one. You might read my book and listen to the podcast and whatever and think that I am I am nothing but happy to be neurospicy. And I, I am. I definitely am. But I don't want to make you all think it's all easy too, you know? And by far, one of the hardest things about being neurospicy is rejection sensitivity
1: by far. Oh, well, yeah, I I definitely agree with that. I, I don't think, you know. You hear a lot of this like ADHD and neurospiciness is a superpower. You hear it like it's always going to be sunshine and roses and like, oh, we're just hyper and this and that. But there is there's a lot of hard parts mm-hmm. of of being wired the way we are mm-hmm. and who we are is beautiful and we're valid. And yes, society is not made necessarily for the way we think although things are getting better
0: thankfully yeah
1: but definitely being this way is difficult I would love you know I've talked to some of my more neurotypical friends and family and they have these magical what seem like magical powers to be, to be able to just not take things personally oh my to God. be able to compartmentalize something bad that happened and just kind of put it in a box and put that box in the closet and lock the closet door and just never deal with it again how i don't know and i would love to know because there are certain things that like have happened in my life that i would love to never ever have to revisit ever again you and me both but they're still there and i hate this kind of you know this phrasing where they say like oh well you know be grateful for your trauma because your trauma made you stronger no no it didn't i made me stronger i chose to heal from the shit that has happened to me yeah i choose to be better i i i choose to learn to grow but don't don't give my trauma the power
0: that's right
1: just don't because it's not fair it didn't do anything but give me you know a really dark sense of humor and, you know, I, I don't want to, sh- because, like, you know, you and I laugh and joke a lot on the podcast, and we tell stories like, you know, oh, you know, we did this, and we learned from this, and blah, 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 and we kind of gloss over a lot of what those struggles were, what they are, and what they will be. Yeah. But it doesn't make our journey or anybody else's journey less valid. That's right. So you know, if you struggle with rejection sensitivity, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's a really hard thing to tackle. Yeah. But I know for myself, finding out about it, and I don't know about this for you, Adam, but I know that me finding out about like all of my neurospiciness, but particularly RSE, because I've heard so much of my life that I'm overdramatic or take things too personally too sensitive but to find out that like there's a word for this that there are other people that feel this way that you know there are other people who can't necessarily control their sadness or their anger or their hurt and like granted you can control how you outwardly react to those feelings yeah but you can't necessarily control the emotion from happening internally. But to know that there are other people that struggle with this and that I'm not just a freak has been such a massive source of comfort for me.
0: Oh, me too. A hundred percent. Because most of my life I was told I'm too sensitive. I'm too much. I got to toughen up. I got to get with the program. I got to, you know, and, To the point where, like, I had once found out that my boss from the job that I talked about earlier, apparently was intentionally bullying me to toughen me up. Gross. Totally gross. And... That is just the grossest behavior. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing that happens all the time to people with RSD, because people think that you're just too sensitive. You just got to get over it. But no, it's one of the hardest parts. I agree. And actually... Going back to the whole people calling it a superpower thing, I'd like to get a little comic book nerdy on this at the end of this podcast because if you think about it, even in the comic books, no superhero, no superpower with any superhero comes without drawbacks because Cyclops in the X Men cannot open his eyes without wearing special glasses without shooting laser beams everywhere. And, and that's, that's a hell of a disability because can you imagine shooting laser beams everywhere when you're trying to just look, do your taxes? Like, I mean, uh, um, beast is a kick-ass, you know, a kick-ass member of the X-Men, but it looks like a blue furred beast. Uh, Spider-Man in a, in a run on the comics actually, uh, you learn that his genetic mutation to be able to do spider-like things is not complete and at one point he turns into a gigantic man spider and has to be turned back uh, you know has his genetics reversed by one of the geneticists in the story so on and so forth Uh, Daredevil is blind but has all of his other senses
1: heightened I mean even Rogue who is probably one of my favorite superheroes
0: cannot touch someone without wearing gloves
1: yeah like so no I, I love what you're saying here Right, because, so
0: people call neurospiciness a superpower and then other neurospiciness would get angry because, well, it's not a superpower, it's, it comes with drawbacks and you shouldn't be just making it sound good, but I mean, in a way, every superpower is as much of a disability as it is a superpower, If you look at if you look at superhero stuff and none of it's all sunshine and rainbows, none of it. I mean, even Superman, is so perfect that he, he defends the world, but he's not of the world and his, his battle is internal. And how do I use his power for good instead of, and and instead of, you know, living with my living according to my privilege and doing whatever I want, you know, again, no superpower comes without drawbacks. So
1: he can also be stopped by kryptonite.
0: Yes, that too.
1: So I mean, I guess, you know, RSV in one form or another could be like a neuro spicy kryptonite.
0: Right. And so that's the thing is like, all superpowers come with come with drawbacks and if we're if you're if anyone out there wants to call neurospiciness a superpower well rsd is definitely the drawback that comes with it yeah
1: absolutely
0: and all of that to say all of those superheroes i just mentioned and we just mentioned are are valid and awesome and kick-ass and so are all of you and so are all of us but i think that's probably enough for this podcast so before we wrap it up um Thank you, guys, for tuning in. Um, noticing some people, someone from uh, from Brazil and the Netherlands listening as well, according to our tracking, which is awesome. Welcome. I don't, I can't speak other any language other than English and French and Italian, so I'm just going to say it in English. But thank you and welcome. <laughs> um, and yeah, uh, do you have anything to add to that, Becca? Um,
1: I, I just want to say. Um below where we usually do our little blurb, we're going to add some links. Yes. um, About rejection sensitivity, just because, like I said, I did a lot of research into it, even though I find, again, that kind of my entire life has just been one long lesson in uh, rejection sensitivity. But if it is something that you are struggling with, you know, feel free to click on those links, reach out to us, um either on our facebook through our email um the tiktok that we never post on (laughs) Um, you know we are here and we love you yes and you are wonderful and you are valid and your journey is maybe not beautiful but your journey is yours and we are happy to be even the smallest stopping point on that journey
0: that's right, 100%. Um, it's a piece of advice my Nona Olga gave me 11 years ago now. I'll say it in English, you need to live for yourself. And I've tried to do my best to do that for the course of my life. And I think as long as all of you do the same thing, things are going to be all right. Well, I'm going to call it here. So everyone have a good one and we'll, we'll see you next time. We love you so much. We'll see you next week. Special thanks goes to Paul Unger, who helped design the rainbow infinity symbol with the two brains component of our logo, which we love very much. Thanks, Paul. The Neurodivergent Polyamorist was produced by Rebecca Kelterborn and Adam Mardero. Copyright 2022.